the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This week's The Interview is brought to you by AndrewandTodd.com. AndrewandTodd.com are the world's best lenders for real estate. They are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. You can call them at 888 888-888-1172, 888-888-1172. And please do, no matter what your lending needs are, andrewandtodd.com. And now welcome to this new edition of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt from the Republican Governors Association in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm joined by Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland. First time I've actually met the governor in person. I've had him on the radio before. Welcome, Governor. Good to see you. Good morning, Hugh. It's, it's good to be with you. It's great to have you here. Let's get the tough stuff out of the way first. You're a Ravens fan. Uh, I am. You see, that makes you complicit in a felony against my city of Cleveland. I am from Northeastern Ohio. And that does not have a statute of limitations on well, it. Well, I understand. You're probably still a little bitter about that. Very, very bitter about that. Did you grow up a Colts fan or did you? You grew up in Maryland? Or? I actually grew up as a, uh, what, we can't say it anymore, I guess, the Washington Redskins fan. No, you can't. Yeah. So <laughs> you were a Skins guy? I was a Skins guy because I grew up in the Washington area. And, uh, you know, oh, I still, that's right. You're DeMatha. I'm a DeMatha guy, uh, Prince George's County. And uh, I still I still support uh, the, the Washington team. But, uh, you know, Ravens are also terrific. So I, I, I've started to go at a lot more of them. I have boxes at both stadiums and uh, try to get to as many games. I'm as telling can. you, Lamar Alexander is a force, but we, we drafted this kid from Maryland just to track him down. And the Browns will be formidable this year. I've still got four on the 50 and this is our Super Bowl year. Well, we'll have to have you out to uh, when they play the Ravens. When, uh, they, when they get beat by the Ravens, I'll have you out to our box. I normally don't even I never mention the name of the first owner of the Ravens on the no, air. That's I, not allowed. You can't. You. Uh, now, talk to me a little bit about the boatyard i i just discovered it in uh, in annapolis first time no one ever told me about the boatyard it's where everyone in maryland goes to eat it's a fantastic place you know it's like a little slice of uh, of maryland uh, great food and it's uh, kind of a neat vibe uh, with uh, you know the watermen were all there in eastport and yeah. uh, <clears throat> i think it's a it's a neat place i'm glad you discovered it so now we my, need you to spend that virginia money over in our i do i bring the virginia money and i spend it in maryland but it it is an interesting choice that the um the best television or movie representation of Maryland is The Wire. During the shutdown, I, I had never watched a minute of The Wire, and I watched every season in about three weeks. And I told that, that the guy who made it hates me on, on Twitter. He just <laughs> hates me. He's a you know, way left guy, but that's okay. He made great television. But I said, it's really just, I mean, is that the way it is between Baltimore and the governor's office? You remember in that series, the, the mayor has to go hat in hand to beg from the Republican governor. I was wondering if that was you. No, it was actually, you know, I think the it's a representation of when Martin O'Malley was governor and Bob Ehrlichwiss uh, was the last uh, Republican governor. You know, we've only had two in the past um, 50 years or so. Uh, but uh, I think that was the, the kind of uh, back and forth between the two of them. 
How is how is Baltimore doing as a city? You know, it's struggling. Um, it's it's obviously the economic heart of uh, of our state, but it's got huge challenges as an urban area. With uh, you know, in spite of uh, record investments in our school systems, we're not doing a great job of educating kids. Where uh, crime is out of control there, and we've had just a turnover in the leadership with Democratic uh, elected officials there at every level. I think I've been governor for six and a half years. We've been through four mayors and six police commissioners uh, and uh, just a constant turnover. And, uh, you know, we've been trying to do everything we can to help from the state level. uh, And I think the federal government has as well. But the city's kind of a mess and we've got to continue to work on these underlying issues. Now, what's interesting to me, I was in your panel yesterday and um I'm a center-right broadcaster, and I think you're a center-right governor. And I'm I'm very proud of that designation because I think I could – people like me could win elections in every state. (laughs) You won in Maryland. I don't think people like me could generally win in Maryland. And as a result, I'll bet you people think you're a lot more liberal than you are. You're actually a pretty conservative guy. Look, I, uh, you know, I was a, a chairman of Youth for Reagan. Um, I've been a lifelong Republican my entire life from, uh, from the time I got involved when I was about 12 years old. Uh, I'm a pretty conservative guy. Uh, it, we're in the bluest and uh, uh, probably most progressive state in America. Uh, and so it may appear that way. I have a legislature that's uh, 70% liberal Democrats. Uh, and we have to, in order to get anything done, I have to uh, find compromise. And I've got to, you know, you can't always get your entire agenda done. But we've been successful in cutting taxes seven years in a row. We, our economy is booming. We've, we've pushed back about uh, against a lot of, you know, very progressive policies. <clears throat> we, uh, you know, I, sometimes I feel like I'm playing goalie. I'm out there stopping bad things. Uh, we stop, you know, we haven't had a single tax increase in seven years. Uh, before I got there, they had done 43 in a row. And killed all of our businesses and jobs, and you know, in in uh, so I'm, I'm a pretty conservative guy, but I would say I'm a right of center uh, guy in a very uh, left of center state. But the people uh, continue to vote for me anyway. I, I've done as well with the with the base, with conservatives and Republicans as uh, just about anybody. But we also have been able to win over some independents and uh, and discerning Democrats, and uh, have good numbers with black voters and suburban women. And I think that's the the key to uh, governing is being able to convince enough people that you've got the right ideas. Now, we are the same age, and uh, you just gave How a poker show. you look so show. much better than Well, me, you know, you look great, by the way. How much weight have you lost? I've lost about 60 pounds. That is remarkable. Tell people how you do that, because people always want to know how people lose weight. It's very simple. You eat less and you exercise more. It's That's the a- best <laughs> answer going. There is no screwball approach there. That's just it. So how did the, what exercise did you develop? Did you just walk? Yeah, I do a lot of walking. I have an elliptical machine, which, uh, you know, I used to just hang my dirty shirts on when I didn't, uh, you know, when I came home. And now I actually get on it sometimes and watch watch the news and, uh, you know, work out some. And you're totally recovered. We have a cancer recovery producer and we have a cancer recovery governor. Are you 100 percent recovered? I'm 100 uh, percent. It's, uh, you know, I, five months after I became governor, I got uh, diagnosed with advanced and aggressive cancer. It was a tough thing to go through. People in my state had just elected me. They were counting on me to represent them. And I ended up going through six months of 24-hour day chemotherapy, and uh, but I, I'm completely uh, cancer-free and and uh, and doing everything I can to help other people that are going through that, uh, their families. Uh, it's amazing how many people I meet every day that are talking about their stories because they know about my struggle. It's the 50th anniversary of signing the National Cancer Act in December. President Nixon signed that at the Nixon Library. We're doing a big celebration, but it's truly come a long, long way. Were you treated at Hopkins, or where did you go to get treated? I, 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 Hopkins is a great, has a great cancer center, but I, I was actually at the University of Maryland Medical Center in Baltimore. They're both terrific, um, and, um, you know, 
the, the amazing uh, health care workers that, that, that uh, save, literally save lives every day. It's incredible. So, Governor, I want to talk to you about a bunch of things, but I want to start with the presidential election in 2024. Everybody knows you're running or assumes you're running. Chris Christie I'm has not told sure me where they running. come up with that. Well, uh, let's let's just put it to rest right now. You are going to run, aren't you? You know, I, I really have never uh, I've never said that I had any interest in running. It's it's funny. Uh, there, a lot of people keep assuming I guess I, you know, I have, I have uh, I'm the most popular governor in America, and we've been very successful in a blue state. Uh, we're getting things done, and I think we have some lessons that could be transferred if we can get these things done in Maryland. And there's no place in America where the same kind of principles wouldn't work. But I've never expressed an interest in running. I, I, I didn't rule it out. I said, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm listening to people talk about it, but I think it's far too early. I, I think we, first of all, have a day job that it's really uh, I'm pretty focused on until January of 2023. I think we want to see what happens in the midterms uh, before you can decide what what is the political lay of the land look like. Let me phrase it this way. Have you done everything you would need to do in order to run should you decide to run? That's a good question. Uh, You know, I think there are a lot more things that have to be done, but we're in we're in position if uh, the opportunity presents itself, if there are. You know, 10 people uh, crashing into one lane and there's an open lane. It looks like there's a possibility. Uh, You know, we'll certainly consider it. But I'm really much more interested in making sure that that, that there's a future for the Republican Party uh, and that we can be successful and govern again rather than what my personal future is. I I heard you talk about that. I I do want to talk about that. But I have one more, two more questions about the presidential campaign. I was joking with you, but not joking with you (laughs) when you sat down. That when the Republicans gather again, I want to again ask the questions at the debates, because I don't think the media actually gets the narrative right. I think most of my colleagues at NBC, my old colleagues at CNN, I write for The Washington Post, I think they bring Democratic questions to Republican governors. I think that's probably true. So who do you want to ask the questions when, if you're on that stage and you got 25, I mean, we're going to need two tiers we need three tiers yeah. for this race. Who do you want asking that question? Well, I mean, obviously it's you. you of course, I mean, that's I mean, the right answer. But who else? The correct I mean, answer. Yes. I can't imagine anyone else asking you. Tell you could say Guy Benson, Mary yeah. Catherine yeah. Ham. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a great panel. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's the panel of my chair. But but really, do you see the problem I see with the media, which yeah. is they don't cover issues the way they need to be covered? Uh, there's no question about that. I mean, it really you don't really get into discussions. I think the average American. Uh, is it's really turned off by you know traditional uh, mainstream media. They they they're somewhat frustrated with the political process, and they're they're uh, you know I think we don't do a good job of uh, of giving people choices and being fair and asking questions, and so people don't really get a full view of what that person that candidate is all about by those little sound bites and uh, you know the questions that are off track. That's why I like longer form. And I'll give you a, for example. Uh, when I had to move from California to the Beltway, because Bill Bennett retired and I had to take over morning drive, yeah. I had to figure out where to live. In D.C., not going to do that, did that, done that, wouldn't be prudent, or Maryland or Virginia. And what I looked at was taxes. Yeah. Right? So I'm coming in, I make a Absolutely. good living, I'm looking at the income tax. I picked Virginia. Now, what's a Maryland governor do with someone who says, I'm moving to Virginia because the income tax lower? Well, it's a great question. And when you uh, when you moved in, that was certainly uh, a worse situation than it is now. It was. It was five years ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, I it was before the the uh, the, the change of when Gov- Martin O'Malley was governor of Maryland. Uh, look, I, I'm a, a lifetime small business guy. I've never held elective office before. I ran for office is, is specifically for that 
point that you just made. Now, it was frustrating to me that they had raised taxes, literally 43 different taxes in an eight-year period. Wow. And I, I, I was so angry and frustrated about that that I said, someone has to do, do something about this. Nobody believed we could in Maryland. They just assumed it was going to be another Democratic governor. <clears throat> but um, I heard from people every day who said either I decided to uh, be across the Potomac in Virginia or I'm moving out of the state because the taxes are too high. Now, you know, I haven't been able to eliminate all those taxes or get it down to the level where I'd like to because I need my legislature, which is 70 percent uh, Democrat. But I have stopped every single tax increase that they've proposed for seven years. And we have cut taxes by a couple of billion uh, dollars during uh, you know the time that I've been in office and including this year. Uh, but every single year for seven years, we've gotten some at least modest tax cuts and I'm chipping away at it. I want to eliminate the retirement tax, uh, which is also getting people to say, I can't stay here on a fixed income. Uh, I want our, our uh, all of our taxes to be more competitive. Look, we have a great uh, quality of life and uh, we've got great you know, schools and great universities. And, you know, we have the most educated workforce in America, one of the highest incomes in America. We have a lot going for us. But taxes is the big uh, albatross uh, that uh, is the only reason why you're in Virginia and you should be in Maryland. So uh, we'll, we'll try to there, get there you were there. were two albatross. I think you're fixing the other one, which is the Bay Bridge. Now, yeah. for the, all those people who do not understand Maryland from the rest of the country, the Bay Bridge is a nightmare, uh, mm. or it was a nightmare. Are you almost done? <clears throat> well, it's, um, it's, it's still kind of a nightmare because we don't have the capacity, but we've, we're in the process of a NEPA study to do a third span of the bridge. Uh, oh, which uh, has to be done at some point. That's going to take you know years to get to, to get to the end of. But in the meantime, we've resurfaced the entire Bay Bridge. We've eliminated the toll booths. It's all electronic. The lines are much lower. The traffic is still there's too much traffic to get across that big span of water uh, on the two spans. But it's uh, we've cut the, the drive times down substantially. And we're also we're building two bridges across the Potomac River. Um, we're we've, we're going to do a new American Legion bridge on the Capitol Beltway. So while the, there's all kinds of uh, gridlock inside the Beltway, we're going to fix the gridlock on the Capital Beltway, and hey, we're building God a, bless a, you. a new. Yeah, a, I hate yeah, the Beltway. The soul-crushing traffic yes. on the Capital Beltway. We're going to try to fix that, and uh, we're building a new uh, bridge to, uh, to Virginia, back and forth, down off 301 in Southern Maryland. I, you know, actually, I'm not upset with that because those people who are stuck in their cars are listening to me on 570 and you right now. Well, you, so it's probably very, good for you. Good I mean, my, I just uh, talked to my com com communications director back in Annapolis. He said he was in soul-crushing traffic coming from Bethesda to Annapolis. So, yeah, so that's good for so my So he's business. listening to you, though. Yeah, that's, that's good for my business. Now, let me talk to you, though, about um, the, 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 the need to bring new businesses to Maryland. Under Armour is there. I mean, people yeah. think about some new businesses. Again, Amazon came to Alexandria Arlington. Yeah. And they almost came to Maryland. Yep. So how are you changing that to get the employers of the future into the new state of Maryland? Well, look, we have a lot going for us, and we're, uh, we're really beating Virginia in a number of areas. That, you know, we're the cyber capital of America. We're home to uh, you know, the uh, U.S. Cyber Command and NSA. We produce more cyber talent than any other state in America. We have 13 colleges and universities that are centers of cyber excellence. We've produce a lot of people in a growing field that, uh, you know, where there's a huge demand for these folks. We have a great life sciences, uh, biohealth industry. We're home to the FDA and NIH and <clears throat> a lot of uh, 
large and startup companies. We're about to announce a couple of huge companies uh, in, in that field that are going to be uh, coming to Maryland and expanding in Maryland. So, look, we're always uh, trying to compete. Uh, I think uh, we used to kid with uh, Bob McDonald, who was governor of Virginia when you moved. Uh, he, he said he was stealing uh, companies left and right from Maryland. And, uh, and now we've got a Democratic governor in Virginia, Republican governor in Maryland, and we're stealing them back. If you get those bridges built, I, I'm one of the people who believe, sadly, having been a land use lawyer for a long time, there is no possibility of doing major infrastructure in the United States because of environmental review. The big dig in Boston being the last one. It's, and you're trying to break that. It's so frustrating. But uh, so I, I was chairman of the National Governors Association uh, last year. And uh, you, you get to pick an initiative to focus on. My chair's initiative was focused on rebuilding America's infrastructure. And we we held uh, summits all across the country and around the world to try to get the best ideas uh, about how we go about uh, you know, addressing this critical need where we haven't addressed the infrastructure in America for decades uh, and we're falling behind other countries. And uh, so we I've been focused on it for six years as governor. We're, we currently have uh, nearly 900 projects totaling almost 10 billion dollars that are under construction. We've expanded the port of Baltimore and dredged it, expanded BWI Airport, which is now does more tra uh, passenger traffic than Dulles and Reagan added together. Um, we've we've resurfaced uh, about 80 percent of our entire state highway system. We're building every project that was in the pipeline, building bridges, tunnels. We're, we're expanding the Howard Street Tunnel, which is going to double the production of the port by double-stack trains. So we, we, I was trying to, <clears throat> to break the logjam. Um, we've got all 50 governors to agree on a set of principles. It wasn't a piece of legislation, but about how we go about our infrastructure, including private sector investment, which we've done a lot of. We have the largest P3 transit project in North America under construction, the Purple Line. We're, we're focused on the largest highway P3 public-private partnership, uh, fixing the Capitol Beltway, I-270, American Legion Bridge. Uh, and I, I, we're trying to get a compromise deal in Washington right now. Uh, you know, the Republicans came up and said we only want it to be very limited in scope, uh, you know, about $600 billion dollars. Uh, and only on roads and bridges, you know, and uh, we said that the Biden came up with this crazy, you know, radical uh, $2.3 trillion package that ha more than half of it was not infrastructure. It was his so-called family infrastructure and, uh, you know, family leave and free college and things that don't have anything to do with building infrastructure. I think infrastructure has the ability to help us really boom the economy and put more people to work. And we should be able to find a compromise. This is something that Republicans and Democrats have talked about. For, for years, Trump said it was his top priority. Uh, Biden says he's going to focus on it. Republicans say they want to do it. So I, I, I tried to find common ground, and uh, I'm, I'm involved with a group called the Problem Solvers Caucus. It's 29 Republicans, 29 Democrats in Congress that will actually sit down and talk to one another. Look, Republicans, we don't have control of anything, right? We, we, we lost the White House, the Senate, and the House. So if we want to get something done, we have to work with, with Democrats to get to the votes. Um, so we now have a compromise, a couple of compromises. It's not all final yet, but about a trillion dollars that cuts Biden's plan more than in half. Uh, brings the Republicans up from where their proposal was, Mitch McConnell's proposal. And it, it's real infrastructure, but it's expanded to include things like rural broadband and, uh, and, and cybersecurity to protect the grid and, you know, some energy uh, sector types of work that wouldn't be, you know, roads and bridges, but does not include any of the other stuff. And so I think we're going to get close to a, 
a compromise on this, hopefully, uh, shortly. But uh, we're still arguing about, you know, how you pay for it all. And a big part of our proposal was private sector investment. There literally are there are trillions of dollars that want to be in, uh, that want to invest in our infrastructure. And we, ought to, we, if yeah. and we ought to incentivize that. The federal government ought to enable states to do the kinds of things that we've done and encourage more of that. You know, I was at the Republican Senatorial Committee gathering two weeks ago to interview Republicans. You're getting around. I try to talk to the Republicans who are actually talking about other than stupid issues. I try and talk about real stuff. And I was talking to Senator Capito. Everybody likes a road. Yeah. And everybody likes a shipyard if you're Hugh Hewitt. And Absolutely. What did you do in Baltimore? Because, again, in The Wire, yeah. it's, it's falling apart. There's <laughs> it's organized so crime. It's terrible. <clears throat> what did you do out there? Well, so it's funny. Uh, you know, I, wherever I go in the country or around the world, we were doing an infrastructure summit in Australia. And people said to me, the only thing I know about Maryland is what I saw on The, the wire. wire. It's not the best. It's not giving <laughs> us the best uh, look. Uh, you know, it's obviously fictionalized. And it was a while ago. And Baltimore's not just what you see on The Wire. But, uh, you know. We're trying to, uh, you know, the Port of Baltimore has had record-breaking years, seven years in a row. It's a huge engine. Uh, The work we're going to do there is going to create another 10,000 jobs in the state. Uh, you know, it's, we have overnight access to more than half the population in the United States. It's, uh, it's one of the most successful uh, deep water ports on the East Coast. Our airport is booming and expanding. Um, you know, we're, we've got those, those, we have the most educated workforce. Uh, we've got people coming to the state rather than fleeing the state. Uh, but the point, the point that you made just a second ago in the, before you led into the question, I think we need to be really focused as Republicans about pushing back on the Biden agenda. And, and it, it seems like we're so disorganized and arguing with each other uh, that we're not putting up an effective fight. We, we have a radical agenda coming through the Democrats. You know, he ran as a centrist, uh, said he was going to work together with us. Uh, but we're, we're pushing this far left stuff. And the Republicans, instead of putting up an effective argument to say, here, here's why that doesn't make sense. And here's why our uh, ideas are better. We're, we're in this intramural squabble, uh, circular firing squad. We're just fighting with each other, and it doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's not the way we're going to win. Uh, the, the page in my memory that you turn with that comment, as I said earlier, we're the same age. When you were working for Reagan, I was running youth for Ford in Massachusetts. Well, I, so I was on the other side well, of that, right? I, well, I, I got to tell you a funny story about that. So my dad was the he and Jerry Ford were in, in the house together and good friends, and we knew the family. And my my uh, my dad was the Maryland chairman for Ford, and we so I, I was a young, oh. I was a kid, you know, college kid. I, you know, I was going to the just you know young guy, right? Uh, but I was enthralled, so I went there with my father, who's the Ford. where were you in school? I was at Florida State okay. University, but You're I Seminole. Okay. yeah Seminole. So I but I was at the convention. My dad is the Ford guy. I was you know, which I I liked Jerry Ford a lot. Uh, he was an incredible American and a great leader. Uh, but I was just enthralled with Reagan's speech. So I'm marching around on the floor of the convention with a Reagan hat and a Reagan sign, and my dad says, what the hell are you doing? You heard the speech? <laughs> yeah. The 76 speech? Yeah. I, mentioned that. I was at 76, 80, 84, 88, 92. I was a delegate to all That's one of those famous speeches in American political history, is yeah. the Reagan 76 speech. It was, you know, so I, I uh, it wasn't any, that I had anything against Gerald Ford. I had tremendous respect for him, but I got a little bit, you know, most kids, they rebel, and they go out and, uh, you know, do something crazy. My crazy thing was uh, liking Ronald Reagan. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny about that? I'm a Midwesterner. I'm from Ohio. I went to Michigan Law School. So I love Jerry Ford. And I thought he was, yeah, it was, it hurt so much to lose. But here was my point. 
When Jerry Ford lost in 76, the subsequent four years were not about Jerry Ford. Yeah. They were, and it was Ronald Reagan Very and John Conley and all these other people, and they were all shooting, not literally, but they were on Jimmy Carter, who was, I mean, we got Carter 2.0 right now. It's stagflation. Yeah, that's a good point. Nobody shot at Jerry Carter and Jerry, uh, J- Jerry Ford, and Jerry yeah. Ford didn't shoot at anybody. Well, Jerry Ford was, uh, you know, he was a gentleman. He was a terrific guy. He was thrust into that role. Uh, you know, uh, it, you know, he didn't really seek it out. Uh, he was a he was a great guy. But you're right. We didn't go out and attack Ford. We didn't have fights between the Ford and Reagan people. Everybody came together. Uh, and uh, you know, I have two daughters who went to the University of Michigan. We did an event at the at the Ford the library. Uh, you know, my dad it was a really close friend of Jerry Ford's, and uh, I admired him. I met the whole family as a kid and got to. Got to go down the floor of the house, uh, you know, when he was uh, when, when he was the leader there. And, uh, you know, he, he I have nothing but respect for for well, I got to make sure I correct the record. Even though I went to Michigan Law School, I am from Ohio and I root for the Buckeyes and how, Urban how Meyer. You, if you're listening, Urban, I, yeah. you know that because Urban how, does how, listen. How can you go from Ohio State to Michigan Law School? Well, I didn't Is go that, to Ohio State. I just grew up in Ohio. Oh, okay. And so. <laughs> When you go to when you're a Buckeye, you're a Buckeye and you're a Buckeye. And my dad went to Michigan Law School and he rooted for the Buckeyes. And okay. so I rooted for well, the I'm glad Buckeyes. you clarified that. Well, cause... I'm glad you got Maryland in. We need another homecoming game. And so I'm glad the Terps are in the Big Ten. I, I love that part. I'm hoping we're going to be able to compete. You know, so let we're going to take out the Buckeyes. Let me close this way. Um, <laughs> when Republicans get you're not going to take out. the Buckeyes. <laughs> I hope you're a better politician. You yeah. are a prognosticator because uh, you don't want to take that one to the bank. I was uh, just hoping. Let me close out by talking about the Republican Party. I heard the panel yesterday you there are so many good ideas here on jobs and infrastructure uh i have not used the t-word i have not brought up donald trump but you cannot get the media to talk about anything other and i have great affection for donald trump but i just don't think the media has any interest in talking to us about issues that matter well i think that's the frustrating point uh is that uh, i think the liberal media is going to and the democrats are going to continue to uh, that's all they're going to talk about. And uh, Republicans, because of, you know, I mentioned earlier, we're kind of having this internal battle within the party and attacking people that didn't uh, support the president, you know, uh, sufficiently enough. And, uh, you know, this purge that's going on, I think it's really bad for the party. I think it's bad for the country. And, uh, you know, I think we need to be looking forward and not backward. And, uh, you know, I, the party does have a lot of great leaders. And there are people here at this convention, governors doing incredible things all across the country. Uh, and, and nobody's focused focused on that. It's uh, we're focused on, uh, you know, look, I'm not to criticize the former president, but we had the worst four years ever for the Republican Party. We lost the presidency. We lost the House, the Senate. We lost governors. We lost the uh, state legislative bodies. I'm about trying to figure out how we can win again when, you know, we both of us you know, working in uh, Ronald Reagan with biggest landslides in history and we won everything. That's what we need to get back to, a winning message that appeals to more people and a bigger tent, as Reagan uh, you know, talked about. Last question, Governor, redistricting. In Maryland, there are a couple of Republicans. You mentioned it on the stage yesterday that managed to survive. Who runs redistrict in Maryland? Do they have enough to override your veto? Well, it's interesting. <clears throat> so I've appointed uh, you know, they, they, we have the worst gerrymandering in the country. Uh, that's a, not a distinction we want to have or we're bragging about in Maryland. But the Democrats have had a monopoly for decades. Uh, they control almost everything. And I kind of spoiled that for them as being a Republican governor. We've appointed a nonpartisan redistricting commission to actually draw fair maps that are contiguous and that uh, make you know sense as opposed to you know, created just to protect Democratic incumbents, uh, we're going to submit that map <clears throat> that they draw to the legislature. Uh, I, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't know if we'll be able to get that passed with these folks, but <clears throat> I think they'll probably come up with a 
very, uh, you know, gerrymandered uh, map in their favor, which I'll veto, <clears throat> likely. And I think it might be resolved in the courts. And the court, our, our court of appeals, well, I'll have five out of the eight members appointed. Hopefully they'll look at the Do fair maps. they have a veto-proof majority? They have a veto-proof majority. They can override every single veto, uh, which is a tough position to be in. But we stopped them from doing a lot of them just by using the bully pulpit and having the people behind us. Yeah, that'll be interesting because I believe in the right of legislatures under the Constitution to draw gerrymandered lines. And if they do it badly, it's up to the people to resolve yep. it. But if you over if you veto it and they override you, do you have a prayer? Yeah, I think we do. I think uh, depending on uh, how they go about and how bad the maps are, that we might have a chance to get it done in the court. We will follow that. Keep coming back, Larry Hogan. It's great to have you. Thank you for making time today. Thank you so much, Hugh. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. Andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did, and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.